Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kedsheno B'Mitzvotav Vetzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Sometimes God's plans will leave us with no other option but to go forward. We can't go back. We don't want to give up. We need to go forward. Even when forward takes us on a path that we wouldn't prefer or we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. That's what happened to the children of Israel as they left Egypt. Let's read in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. After Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not guide them to the highway that goes through the land of the Philistines because it was close by. God thought that the people, upon seeing war, might change their minds and return to Egypt. Rather, God led the people by a roundabout route through the desert by the Red Sea, the Sea of Suf or the Sea of Reeds. Moses and all of Israel were learning that sometimes God's path forward is the long way, not the short way. The path of redemption can be long. God's path may be arduous and challenging, but it's effective and efficient in accomplishing his plan for redemption. Shortcuts and quick fixes often are more appealing to us because they seem to be less demanding and they seem to offer faster results. But shortcuts and quick fixes typically are ineffective and they can even be counterproductive to accomplishing the purposes of God and the ways that God wants to redeem. That was the situation that Israel faced at the Red Sea, and which we read about in this week's Torah portion. The children of Israel had experienced the Pesach, the Passover, and they left Egypt. That was the Exodus. And then the Lord took them on the long way, a roundabout way. He's protecting them, though they don't really understand that. There's more in fact, about redemption and salvation that the Lord wants Israel to learn. And he wants Egypt also to see that the God of Israel is the one and only true God. Let's read now from Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 5 and going to verse 18. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. They said, what have we done letting Israel stop being our slaves? And so he prepared his chariots and took his people with him. He took 600 first quality chariots, as well as all the other chariots in Egypt, along with their commanders. Verse 8, Adonai made Pharaoh hard-hearted. And he pursued the people of Israel as they left boldly. The Egyptians went after them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh with his cavalry and army, and overtook them as they were in camp by the sea, by Pi-Hachirot in front of baal Zephon. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they saw the Egyptians right there coming after them in great fear. The people of Israel cried out to Adonai and said to Moses, was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die in the desert? Why have you done this to us? 
bringing us out of Egypt. Didn't we tell you in Egypt to let us alone? We'll just go on being slaves for the Egyptians. It would be better for us to be the Egyptians' slave than to die in the desert. Well, you can see the fear response so clearly in the people, and that's what Moses then speaks to in verse 13. He answered the people, stop being so fearful, remain steady, and you will see Adonai is going to save you. He will do it today. Today, you have seen the Egyptians, but you will never see them again. Adonai will do battle for you. Just calm yourselves down. So Moses says, stop being so fearful. And I think that the fear was not only psychological or physical, it had a spiritual dimension. I say that because the fear directly affected their spiritual perspective and outlook. And when they dealt with the fear, their spiritual strength could return. Sometimes you just got to come da- calm down and get a grip on yourself. Back to verse 15, Adonai asked Moses then, why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. The Lord asks a question to Moses. It's really a rhetorical question. Why are you crying to me? rhetorical because there's no good answer. It's like the Lord is saying, I heard you, and here's my answer. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. In the Hebrew that's translated go forward means to pull up or to pull out, to to head out, to set out on a journey to go forward. Uh, Going forward, another way of saying it I'd like to put it this way, is kadima, kadima anyway, because kadima is one of my favorite Hebrew words, and it means forward or charge. And even though it's not used in this verse, it captures the sentiment for me really perfectly. Kadima anyway, forward anyway. But what was the only problem? There was no way forward. The Red Sea. There was no way back, no way forward. But there was no use in crying. No one wanted to be in that position. Being trapped did not make sense to them. In fact, it was terrifying. And the wisdom of each person argued against the wisdom of God and the directions that Moses was conveying to them. Or we could say it this way, the fear of each person, each person's fear masqueraded as wisdom and argued against the wisdom of God. I think that each of us will experience at times the limits of our own wisdom and the superior nature of God's wisdom. And yet, there are times when we want to be in the place of God, and we're sure that we know what's best. We know better. We're convinced that our own wisdom is the best wisdom, and that the way that we understand things, the way that we see things, and and how we think things should go, that that really is the wisest of all. And at that moment, in the Red Sea moment, that's when the Lord was revealing more about himself as Redeemer 
and Savior. And he was revealing the superiority of his wisdom as well as his goodness. He tells Moses in Exodus chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, Moses, lift your staff, reach out with your hand over the sea and divide it in two. The people of Israel will advance into the sea on dry ground. Now, notice this. This um, this division of the sea is something that Moses cannot accomplish in his own power. No one could. Only God can do this. And it's just his staff that Moses is told to, to lift up. He doesn't have like a magic wand or a, a wizard's staff. It's just the regular staff. There's no magical powers associated with this. This is the initiative that God is taking for a miracle to divide the sea and then to cause the, the ground that had been the uh, seabed to become dry ground for the children of Israel to pass on. It's not Moses' idea. It's not his initiative. It's not that he's got magical powers of some sort or that he has control over the supernatural world. No, this is the Lord's initiative. This is the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's understanding, the Lord's protection and his provision. And then the Lord goes on to say in verse 17 to Moses, as for me, I will make the Egyptians hard-hearted and they will march in after them. And thus I will win glory for myself at the expense of Pharaoh and all his army, chariots and cavalry. And then the Egyptians will realize that I am Adonai when I have won myself glory at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots and his cavalry. And so notice this, both Israel and Egypt are learning about God, the Redeemer, and God, the Savior, and God Almighty, the authority, the power, the goodness, and the covenant-keeping faithfulness of Hashem. So let's think about this. It doesn't really work to box God in. When we think we figured out the boxes that God should operate in and we're telling him what he should do and what he shouldn't do and so forth, it doesn't really work. In fact, only God knew that it would take the 10 specific plagues for Egypt to finally relent and let Israel go. And only God knew that it would take yet Another miracle, one more miracle, the parting of the Red Sea for Israel and the closing of the Red Sea on Egypt, if you consider that all part of one great miracle. That's what it took for Egypt to finally give up trying to get Israel back into slavery. God worked the way that he knew was best. Let me repeat that. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. God worked the way that he knew was best. Now, let's keep that in mind and fast forward to the Lord coming down and becoming Yeshua, becoming a man who is Messiah and Savior. Only God knew that this was necessary to deal with the sins of 
humanity. Only God knew that the death of Yeshua on the cross was necessary because he knew the secret of resurrection life. And it was, again, more revelation from the God of Israel, who is Redeemer and Savior. God does not fit in a box. And what do you do when you realize that you've put God in a box? Well, the first thing is to remember he's not really in that box. You thought he fit in the box. He didn't. And so with that in mind, approach God with a humble heart and speak to him with humility, not with fear and not with arrogance. As we approach God with true humility, our disappointments will change about the things that are not going the way that we expect, and we'll start to see things differently. We'll be open to ask the Lord more questions and to receive real answers from him. God does hear us, and yet he's free to do as he knows is best. God will open up something different. It may not be what you want or what you like or what you fully understand, but I can tell you this, it will be for good. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his ultimate purposes and his goals. When you stop putting God in a box, you'll experience more joy and more thanksgiving. Listen to the song of Moses in Israel. When they got to the other side of the Red Sea, the other side of the Red Sea is where they sang this song of faith that's recorded in Exodus 15. And then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to Adonai. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and its rider he threw in the sea. Yah is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will glorify him. My father's God, I will exalt him. Adonai is a warrior. Adonai is his name. Job also had a revelation about God. He said these words, I know that my Redeemer lives. Goali chai, my kinsman Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. He will stand. King David also had a revelation that he wrote about in Psalm 18. And the preface to this is, uh, is at the beginning of the psalm, which is entitled, The Lord is My Rock. And it's for the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord, who sang the song to the Lord on the day the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And in verse 46 of Psalm 18, he declares, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and may the God of my salvation be exalted. So God is the Redeemer, and he lives, and he will stand on this earth. And the Lord lives, and he is the rock, and he is the God of my salvation. 
the psalmist Asaph also had the revelation in Psalm 78, verse 35. He recalls this, they remembered that God was their rock and that God most high was their redeemer. The prophet Micah also brought this revelation from God and is recorded in Micah 6, 4, where the Lord says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. So this is a sampling of scripture that speaks to the fact that God himself is the redeemer and God is the savior. God the redeemer, God the savior. In fact, God is the Messiah. Let's remember this, that God redeems us. Let's remember this, that God saves us. He's our Savior. And let's keep our eyes on Yeshua and pay attention to this reality, because it's the truth, and we all need this truth. Tonight, may be the night for you to turn to the Lord. And maybe you realize this truth that Yeshua, our Messiah and Savior, is Adonai, our Lord. God is our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Messiah. And you can pray with me like this, a simple prayer. Lord, thank you for redeeming me through Yeshua. You yourself have become my redemption. You have become my Savior. I turn away from my sins and everything that separates me from you, and I confess with my own mouth that Yeshua is Adonai, that Yeshua died for me and rose from the dead. Yeshua has paid for my sins. He's given his life so that I can have life in him and live for him. And you can say, Amen. If you prayed like this for the first time, I want to congratulate you. This is a great way to be decisive and to make a new beginning. And if you prayed like this for the first time, please let me know, and we'll rejoice with you. In a moment, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. But first, would you consider standing with us with a generous contribution? You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. And now, Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and may the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. And we can all say, Amen.